morning, Woods Edge. Uh, last week, I saw many of you. It's great to see you again. Good to see some more of you this week. Hope your summer has gone well. A couple of things before we start, just reminding you that our mission is clear, clear and uh, it's from the Lord. Love Jesus. Journey together. That means love one another. Bring hope to the world. That means love people outside. Uh, that's what we're about. I want to thank you for your part in all of that, in praying, serving, giving, all you do to advance the kingdom here at Wood's Edge. Uh, last week, I, I mentioned that in a couple of weeks on a Wednesday night, Jim Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle, the author of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, is going to be with us at our Wednesday night service. Just wanted to elaborate on that a, a bit. Um, what, what we've got that day is we've got a prayer gathering for pastors. We're not actually sponsoring it. It's a national prayer ministry for pastors that I'm involved with called Six Four Fellowship. They're sponsoring it, but we're hosting it. And if some of you, even non-pastors, want to pay a $60 registration fee to that organization, you want to come, great, be glad to have you. But regardless, that Wednesday night at our prayer service, Jim Simmel is going to join us. And if you've not read Jim Simmel's work or been to Brooklyn Tabernacle at some point in the past, no one in our generation has God used more significantly when it comes to prayer than Jim Simmel. And uh, he's had an enormous impact upon me, upon the, this church um, and his writings, and, and it's going to be a special time. That's the 21st, not this coming Wednesday, but next Wednesday is when he's going to be joining us. So, all of that. So, Dr. John Bisogno was the longtime pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church, had a worldwide ministry. I would imagine that some of you were probably in John Bisogno's congregation at some point or other. I see Randy Mormon over there, and I know Randy was, and probably some others of you had an enormous impact. When John Bisogno was about 20 years old, young man just starting out as the pastor, an older pastor called him aside and said to him, said, John, stay true to Jesus. Make sure that you keep your heart close to him every day. And he went on to say, it has been my observation that, that just one out of 10 who start out in full-time service for the Lord at age 21 are still on track by the age 65. And the young John Bisogno said he was shocked and said, I just can't believe that. It just can't be true. And this is what he did. He turned to the back of his Bible and began listing friends his age who were just starting out in the journey of pastoral ministry. And he listed 24 friends that he knew well who were sold out to Jesus and burning in their passion to, to, to serve him and to seek him. 24 names. He said about three decades later, he wrote this. He says, I am now 53 years old. From time to time, as the years have gone by, I've had to turn to, back to the page of my Bible and cross out a name. I wrote down those 24 names when I was just 20 years of age. 33 years later, there are only three names remaining of the original 24. Another 30 years would go by before Dr. Brisagno himself died, and that was a year ago in August. And by, by, I had the opportunity to get to know Dr. Brisagno in the last years of his life, and I can tell you that he had such zeal for the Lord and for the kingdom uh, till his dying day. I can remember being with him in his house and some other pastors, and even though he was in failing health, wasn't good health at all, uh, he, he, was, he would get down on his knees. We'd have to kind of help him get back up. 
and he would call out for revival in our city. And he was calling pastors and calling our city to it to the day he died. He even spoke here on a Wednesday night uh, towards the end. But he's a guy who finished well. Now, if pastors, if that would hold up for pastors, only one out of ten finished well, uh, could it be far different from Christians in general? That is, of those who start out strong for God, how many of those finish strong? If, if the, the, the rate is one out of ten, will you be the one out of ten who finish strong? In Numbers 13, we've got another example about finishing strong. The people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. So they were in Egypt, and God is sending them back. He's rescued them, and they're headed back to the promised land. And God said, there's a great land there flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to give it to you. You go take it. Now, there were some giants in that land, the, the Anakim. And when they were getting close, this is what Moses did. He chose 12 leaders, 12 leaders, one from each tribe, and said, you go into the land, you scout it out. You, you go from one end to the other, you check it all out, you come back and give a report to us. Well, when they came back, uh, their report was basically this, is that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a rich and fertile soil. However, there are Anakim in that land, and they are giants, and we cannot take this land. Now, God had already told them, not only that they could take it, but they would take it. This is what I've called you to do. You go do it, and I'll be with you. But yet, 10 of the 12 leaders... A chosen by Moses, came back and said, we can't do it. This is what we need to do. We need to go back to Egypt. Can you believe that? Now, that started kind of a widespread grumbling and mumbling of the people, and pretty soon the people decided, we're going to replace Moses, our leader, and we're going to go back. <laughs> and Caleb and Joshua, the two of the ten, they just wouldn't hear of it. And in Numbers 13, this is what they say, Numbers 14, verse 7, they say this. They say, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They're bread. We eat them up. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's Joshua and Caleb. By the way, God also elsewhere said this about Caleb. Now get this and imagine God saying this about you. But this is what God said about Caleb. He said, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully... I will bring into the land into which he went, and his, descendant, and his descendants shall possess it. They will possess it. So that great, tragic episode happens in Israel's history, right on the cusp of them going into the land. And this was the judgment of God. He said, all of the adults of that generation will never see the promised land, except two people, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else is going to die out. They're going to wander in the wilderness. And so, so 40 years go by of wandering in the wilderness. Then Moses dies out too. So just Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Joshua is now the leader. They enter the promised land. 
and they spent another five years just capturing cities and uh, taking over the land. So now it has been 45 years later after this passage in Numbers 13 and 14. 45 years later, and Joshua and Caleb, the only ones still alive, we come to what's going to happen to them. We're in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, to see the sequel to what happens to Joshua and Caleb 45 years later. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to read part of the passage. I'm in Joshua 14. Now, Caleb, this fascinating individual, is pretty much only in these two places in the Bible, just a little bit elsewhere. But it's Numbers 13 and 14, Joshua 14 and 15. So here's Joshua 14, beginning verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold... The Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this land, this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day. How the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Church, this is God's Word. Please be seated. Now, this is a fascinating passage that we're going to see, and there's much you and I can learn from Caleb. No matter what age you are, there's much we can learn. Okay, so this past Wednesday morning, I am uh, in my time with the Lord. And I've been reading the passage, and uh, every day, Denny Henderson, who had been our executive pastor all last year, many of you know Denny. Uh, Denny, now we have sent him out to kind of replant a church in Lago Vista by Austin. And he's part of the Woods Edge family of churches, and we're blessing him and praying with him. So every day, Denny and I will text each other about our time in the Word. This Wednesday, Denny did not know I was preaching on Joshua and Caleb, and he sends me this text. I can imagine, he'd been reading in this passage, he says, I can imagine two old guys, Joshua and Caleb, sitting on a rock talking of the good old days. Joshua looks over at Caleb and says, so what about you? Where are you going to settle? Caleb, looking off into the horizon, takes a deep breath, filling his lungs with sunlit air, and points. Right there, I have not forgotten the promises. Lying ahead was the land of Hebron, populated with the Anakim giants. At 85 years old, Caleb could have, Denny is writing, at 85 years old, Caleb could have requested an easier land to conquer and settle, but for 45 years, he held that promise in his heart. Though 85 years old, there is this Clint Eastwood moment. (laughs) Old Caleb 
looking at Joshua and saying, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. And then he wrote, Joshua must have smiled. Caleb caught a glimpse of the great reward of obedience and held it for 45 years. I pray, then he is writing, I pray that I have faith like Caleb based on unshakable conviction that the Lord delights in me. Give me faith to take the land of the giants. Amen. And he did not know that I was speaking in this passage, that I'd already been burrowing in and, and, and meditating and, and praying into this passage. By the way, Caleb and Joshua, who finished so well, two of the 12 spies who went to the land, they finish well. The other 10 do not finish well. Caleb and Joshua, we know their names. And in fact, we sometimes name our sons after Caleb and Joshua. We got anybody here in your family named Caleb and Joshua? Raise your hand. Yeah, there are a bunch of them. A lot of Caleb's and Joshua's. Now, give me one name of the other 10, somebody. I can't give you one. I read it this week several times. We don't know their names. We don't use their names. But Joshua and Caleb finished strong. I've got a question for you, dear Woods Edge family. Are you going to be like Caleb and Joshua, and are you going to finish strong? Because it has been my experience. I have been a believer going all out for Jesus Christ since I was 18 years old, a freshman at Rice University, right before I went into Rice. And now I'm 65, 47 years later, I'm going strong for the Lord. It has been my experience that so many other people start strong for the Lord, great enthusiasm for the Lord, but at some point in middle age or old age, it fades out so often. And they don't have the same fire in their belly to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ as they once did. Now, let me commend you. You're showing up at a Bible-teaching, life-calling church on a Sunday morning, so to some extent, you're seeking the Lord. Way to go. Uh, you're chasing after Him. But we want to finish stronger than when we began, with more love for Jesus than when we started, and more zeal for His kingdom. Caleb has three traits. He's got faith because he believed God's Word. We can take that land. I'll give it to you. He had obedience. Three times in that passage, I read these words, he wholly followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord. And he had endurance because he did not coast in at a certain point and check things out and just rest in. He was going all out to seek and to serve the Lord to the day he died. Now, it is that third trait that I want to talk with you this morning about. I want to unpack it a little bit. What does it look like for you and I to finish strong? What does it look like to finish well? If, if what happened to John Bisagno that only, you know, one out of ten was finishing well, if what we see in this passage only two out of twelve were finishing well, are you going to be the one in ten or the two in twelve who at the end of your life will hear the words of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant? Will we be one of those ten? Now, at the other end of the Bible, we've got a, a brief glance at someone who has a Caleb-like spirit, a Caleb-like endurance, and it is the Apostle Paul. Paul is not nearly as old. I bet Paul was about my age. Most would say he's around 64. But he's been going hard for the Lord, all out for the Lord for decades, and I mean, he's suffered terribly. But now he's in prison in Rome, 
Emperor Nero has had him rested because he's blaming stuff on Jews and Jews who become Christians. And Nero is insane, literally. And within a few weeks, Paul will be beheaded. He's at the end of his days, and he knows it. And so he's writing to his son in the faith, his protege, Timothy, his final farewell words. He comes near the end of the book in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, and he makes this statement. He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That is, I'm already beginning to die. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That three crisp statement of endurance, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. At the end of his days, Caleb could say the same thing. Paul could say the same thing. And I hope it will be true that every one of us here, at the end of our days, that we can say the same thing. And we will hear the words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You were still going hard after the Lord. Earlier in his life, Paul wrote this charge to the Galatians. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me ask you, have you grown weary of doing good? Have you grown weary of serving the Lord? Have you grown weary of going all in for Jesus Christ? Don't do that, God says to us. For in due season we will reap if we do not grow up give up. What does it mean for you and me to finish well? What does it mean? What does it look like? Well, it's going to look somewhat differently for all of us, but at the very least it will mean this, that at the end of your life, you will have just as much devotion to seek Jesus as at the start of your life. At the end of your life, you will still be concerned to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ just as much and hopefully more than earlier in your life. You will not slack off the pace. You will not begin coasting. You will not retire from the spiritual life or from the kingdom. You might retire from your job, but you will not retire from God or advancing the kingdom of Christ. Now, in our culture that you and I live in here in America and much of the West, there's a deep-seated mindset that, you know, there's just sort of an expectation that at a certain time, you knock it off. And you're going hard. You knock it off. Certainly, we retire from our jobs. Uh, unfortunately, for many, there's a, there's a mindset that spills over, for many Christians, spills over to all of life. You know, I'm ready to coast in, take it easy, you know, have fun. I put my time in. That is not the Caleb-like spirit that we see in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Nothing wrong with retiring from your work, those of you who retired. Good for you. One day I plan to do that. No time soon. Sorry, guys. Um, but, and I am all about, uh, as I've gotten older, I need more rest. Last week I talked about this. I need a six-week summer break. You guys make that possible. I'm grateful to you for that. I need more breaks. But I began serving Jesus and seeking Jesus when I was 18. I've got more zeal to seek the Lord now than when I was 18. And I hope you do too. And one day, no time soon, I remind you, I'm going to retire as the lead pastor of Wood's Edge, but I'm going to continue serving the Lord with all I've got. You retire from a job, but not from the kingdom. 
You go all out until the day you die. You want to finish strong. What are the reasons why so many, many Christians that I see in my experience have this white-hot enthusiasm when they're young? And sometime in middle age, it tends to fade out and it tends to slack and they tend to coast. And certainly so many by the time they grow to old age. There's a lot of reasons. I want to give you just four of them. Really, I'm going to talk about five, but four. All righty. This is what happens to some. They lose their first love. Do you love Jesus Christ more than the day you came to faith? I hope you do, but it doesn't always happen. There was a great church at Ephesus. In fact, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus because Timothy has taken over the church. That's what he's doing in 2 Timothy. By 30 years later, a lot of believers there had lost their first love. Revelation 2, Paul is writing to say, you've left your first love. Church, may it not be true for you and me. And for Woods Edge, some of you have been around here long enough to know, my, if I had one dream for Woods Edge, it's this, that we would fall in love with Jesus more and more. Love him like no congregation has ever loved him before. And so, so many believers lose their first love. Secondly, so many believers grow angry and bitter against God, against life, against people, because life is hard in a fallen world. People wrong us and mistreat us and hurt us. And so many believers allow a root of bitterness to grow up and choke the life out of their heart. And it ruins their lives. Church, do not allow that poison into your heart. The Bible is strong. Get rid of all anger and malice and bitterness and and, and, and forgive as God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. If you have allowed a root of bitterness and anger in you, get help. Uh, take it to God. Maybe you need a Christian counselor. Maybe you need healing prayer here at Woods Edge. Maybe you need to go to your small group. Uh, but get help. Deal with that because that ruins your life and the people who are close to you around you. A second reason for casualties is, is that we become angry. Thirdly, we become worldly. Now, do you remember in the parable that Jesus tells uh, three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how uh, he talks about how some people allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke out their spiritual life. Specifically in Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says that as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves, unfluent, uh, proves unfruitful. So the cares of this world, there's all the stuff we got to do. The deceitfulness, get that word, deceitfulness of riches. They choke it out. They choke it out. And that happens all too often. There is nothing wrong with the involvements of various things in the world or with making money. But you and I live in the most affluent culture overall in history. And this is our tendency as we think, well, when a passage that talks about the deceitfulness of riches and what do you do about the rich, you think, well, that's not me. That's those people over there. We can all, everybody except, I guess, uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos can find somebody that's real, got well, more wealth. And we excuse ourselves. Well, let me tell you, compared to all of world history, 
just about every person in this room right now would be what the Bible would call the rich. So don't kid yourself. This is what the Bible says to you and me, the rich. This is in 1 Timothy 6, 17. I don't know of a better verse on money for our culture. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, that's you and me. You got enough food for tomorrow, you're part of the rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't think you're a big shot. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Remember 2008 in the fall. But set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Enjoy it. Great. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up treasure for themselves and a good foundation for the future. So enjoy the things that God's given you, but be rich in good works and, and, and serving others and being generous. That's the charge to us. Watch out for the deceitfulness of riches because we live in an affluent culture. All right, a fourth reason that I find so many Christians tube out spiritually is this. They get covered over with guilt, condemnation, and accusation. Now, you need to understand, our enemy, if he's got one basic strategy, it is to accuse and condemn and lay all kind of guilt on you. And, he, and he's pretty good at it, isn't he? Pretty good. And, and I don't know what your failure is, but you got it because we all have. But particularly, you know, if you've gone through a divorce or you felt like you really blew it as a parent or uh, affairs or addictions, but all kinds of things, but just general sin. Uh, some of you have been completely taken out of the spiritual life and kingdom because of guilt. And this is what you have done. You have listened to the lies of Satan rather than to the truths of God, because this is what God says about you. Look, Jeff, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because this is what happens, we celebrate it every week when we take communion, is that the blood of Jesus Christ, when I trusted Christ as Savior, it washed all my sins away forever. And I am as blameless before God as Jesus Christ. That is the truth of God. The lie of Satan is that, oh, you are really bad. God can't use you. Don't even show up at church because he's mad at you. Church Let's refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy and be guilty over sin that Christ shed his blood for. Hold to the gospel. Now, those are four reasons that I see so many believers have kind of tubed it spiritually. They've lost their first love. They've allowed guilt and condemnation to take over. They've um, got angry and bitter. They've um, become worldly and preoccupied with riches some of those things. But you know, there is a fifth thing that's just basic. I don't want to just skip over it, and that's our physical health. I mean, uh, as I've before quoted, you know, what we're doing, if you're, you know, over 50, really if you're over about 30, but you don't know it yet, but if you're over 50, <laughs> you're managing deterioration. And some of us are doing a lot of managing these days. And so, you know, we just think, well, you know, man, I, I worked hard, now I'm coasting. Um, I could make an argument here, but I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. A month ago, my longtime assistant, Glenna Siebert, her husband dies, Mark Siebert. Some of you know him. About a month ago, Mark 
for 16 years had been suffering from a degenerative muscle disease that eventually put him into a wheelchair and he could not get around. He could not move, really. He could do some stuff with his hands. And um, I was just amazed at Mark. He, he never had a, a bad attitude or bitterness. And he just had a zeal for the Lord and a zeal to serve the Lord to the day he died. He spent his career as an engineer, and he'd been retired for a few years, but now he was confined to the wheelchair, but he was still going strong for the Lord. Uh, that wheelchair wasn't a reason that he could just, you know, kind of, okay, I'm done, can't use me. Uh, once a week, he would get in his wheelchair, Glennon would be here at work uh, with me, he'd get in his wheelchair, and he would take that wheelchair 40 minutes through the bike trails of the woodlands to a retirement home and lead them in Bible study. And I bet some of that time he was plenty sweaty by the time he got there. On Sunday mornings, he would go back to our ministries. He'd, he'd, he'd worship one service, and he'd serve third graders in the other service. He would go teaching third graders. That's a picture of him on the far left in the white sitting up in the wheelchair. Now, uh, uh, Mark died on a Wednesday three or four weeks ago, and the previous Sunday would have found him in that third grade class along with Christian Rose working with third graders. Nancy Miller is one of our children's pastors, and she had an experience with Mark that Sunday, the last Sunday he was alive. And this is what she wrote to Glenna after hearing of his death. She said, um, last Sunday morning at Wood's Edge, I was walking a new family with a third grader to their children's rooms. As I neared the third grade door, I breathed a prayer to God that this child would find friends, and I'd be able to connect them so that they would want to come to church and thus hear the gospel. As I opened the right-hand door, I was a bit dismayed not to see the kids playing foosball and air hockey. However, as I rounded the left door and ushered this family into the room, we saw that all the children and all the Sunday school shepherds were gathered around Mark as he told them about Jesus. When I turned back to the family that I was escorting, I witnessed an amazing tender look on the parents' faces at that point, I realized that God had a better plan than air hockey. He planned for his diligent servant, Mark, without wasting a moment to tell those children about his saving grace and then press on this new family. Their children would hear the truth of the gospel in this place. She said, many years ago, when we first brought our children to Wood's Edge, I read a statistic that made me want to be a Sunday school teacher. The statistic was that 94% of all Adult Christians had accepted Christ by the age of 18 and two-thirds of those by the age of 13. She said, I'm sure Mark's percentage was higher. I imagine the kids he taught telling other people about our Savior throughout their life and then telling their children and their children's children and the incredible impact on eternity. Now, imagine Mark's impact on the other Sunday school workers and the inspiration and role model he is to me. Now, that happened on the Sunday before Mark died. Did Mark Siebert finish strong? Absolutely. You, he could say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And no doubt he heard the words of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Brooke, no excuses about your deterioration. There's a study done on executives not too long ago or sometime back. What decade do executives have their greatest effectiveness? When I heard about that study, I, I, I thought, immediately thought, 50s. That's probably my 50s then. 50s. 
uh, you know, that's when there's still good energy and there's wide experience. Um, the study showed that the greatest effectiveness was in their 60s. And even more remarkable, the second best decade, not 50s, 70s. Third was 50s. I am not suggesting that you wait till you're 80 to retire. <laughs> but you are not to retire from God and the kingdom when society tells you to. Go strong like Caleb, like Paul, like Mark Siebert to the very end of our lives. I am continually amazed how many people I encounter at Wood's Edge who, uh, of all ages, but especially those in the third quarter of their life, third or fourth quarter of their life, who say something like this to me, I just want to find my purpose in the kingdom. And thank God for them, that they want that, that you want that. God put that in you, by the way, because we all long to be used by God. God put that in you. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up on that search. Keep praying. Talk with others. Try out things. Let me just scroll through a six or seven things this morning, that, some options. Um, you can disciple a younger believer. You find somebody a little bit younger than you and love them, pour into them. Uh, you don't have to have some special training. Just care about them and spend some time with them. We can give you some tools to help you. So that's one thing. By the way, those people that are a little younger than you can be third graders. And they can be junior high girls. Or they can be three years younger than you. Find somebody to pour into. Disciple. I would love it along that lines if many of you older couples would say to me, or even better, say to one of our staff, um, I'd be willing, Jeff, to mentor a younger couple. Now, what, what if this? What if this? With, with the divorce rate in our society being atrocious, what, what if every young couple that got married at Wood's Edge, that an older couple would sort of take them under their wing and meet with them, say, once a quarter, and they could go Starbucks or dinner, and, and they didn't have to teach them. They just had to care about them, pray for them, be available to them. I mean, I think we could change some of the divorce rate around here. What, what we could do that? Or here's another example. This is a new ministry that we're starting. We've got a group of people training all year for it. It's called Regen. Regen is in regeneration. It's out of a church in Dallas, and it's very powerful. This is what it's about. It is for people who have experienced brokenness and want to walk toward freedom. Now, isn't that all of us? Isn't that include just about everybody? Experience brokenness and want to walk toward freedom. And this is a Bible-based ministry that really is helping people. And we got some folks trying, maybe God would lead you to that. Um, of course, there's all kinds of things in children's and student ministries like Mark. And you may not be a teacher, um, but, but, but you can help with crowd control. You can welcome new people like that third grade family and uh, do all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Uh, student ministry or children's ministry. Of course, all kinds of things with welcome ministries in the parking lot, greeters, ushers, all sort of things. All kinds of things with outside the walls ministries, outside of Wood's Edge, either formally through Wood's Edge and our ministries or informally in your other ministries around. You know, some of you, your main calling is, is prayer and intercession. 
Now, I know that every one of us as Christians, we call to that prayer. But some of you, that's your main thing. And maybe you need to step it up. And we'd be glad to help you step it up. Uh, intercession. But many, many opportunities. Let us help you find the place so that you too can experience the great joy of being part of God's kingdom. Now, I want to close with two stories about uh, men who finish well. The first one is E. Stanley Jones, who's not well-known in many circles, but he was a well-known Christian in a former day. And if you're in a Methodist background, you probably know the name E. Stanley Jones, who was a missionary hero for 50 years in India. And he went hard after serving God, and really all over the world, but especially India. At age 83, he has a debilitating stroke, and he cannot talk hardly and cannot move his muscles. In the waning months of his life, he dictated, managed to dictate through paralyzed lips, uh, a remarkable little book. And he said these words, There are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there are no doubts. Christ has me with the consent of all my being and with the cooperation of all my life. The song I sing is a lit song, not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle age and old age sets in with their disillusionment and cynicism. He said, now I'm 83, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than when I was 18 and I first put my feet on the way. May it be that you too can say that no matter what age you are. I am 83, and I'm more excited about serving Jesus, about loving Jesus, than when I first started the journey. The second story is Paul Brand. One of my favorite biographies is Paul Brand. It's called The Gift of Pain. Here's the story of Paul Brand, a British surgeon who focused on leprosy in India. So both of these stories are kind of, kind of, kind of involving India. Because leprosy involves the hands, he became one of the world-renowned renowned hand surgeons and a very strong believer. And when he was 80 years old, he was speaking to a retirement home and told this story. He said, I remember well, as he said to these fellow octogenarians, he said, I remember well. When I was at my physical peak, I was 27 years old and had just finished medical school. A group of friends and I were mountain climbing, and we could climb for hours. For some people, when, the, when, the, when they cross that peak, for them, life is over. I remember well my mental peak, too. I was 57 years of age, and I was performing groundbreaking hand surgery. All of my medical training was coming together in one place. For some people, when they cross that peak, for them, life is over. He then said, I'm now 80 years of age. I recently realized that I'm approaching another peak, my spiritual peak. All I have sought to become as a person has the opportunity to come together in wisdom, maturity, kindness, love, joy, and peace. And I realize when I cross that peak, for me, life will not be over. It will have just begun. So those of you who are thinking about checking out at age 60 or whenever the culture tells you to, or 70 or 80, when you reach your spiritual peak at age 80 or 90, for you, life is not over. It has just begun. And may it be found true of you, like it is found true of Caleb and found true of Paul and Mark Siebert and E. Stanley Jones and Paul Brand and countless other believers that you don't just coast in 
in the kingdom of God. Or you don't retire, not only from your vocation, but you retire from the kingdom. But rather, God finds you seeking the Lord, serving the Lord more zealously than ever to the day you die. And you hear the words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. May it be. Please stand. Lord, I thank you for the people at Woods Edge. I thank for the people in this room, whether or not they're from Woods Edge, Lord God. They're seeking you or they wouldn't be here. But, oh God, may we not flag in our zeal. May we recognize, Lord God, life just begins when we reach our spiritual peak. Lord, bless these your people. Bless these your people. Give us endurance that we will not regret. Friend, if you're in the room, you've never trusted Christ, you've not taken the first step on the journey, right now is your time. Breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. And he'll do it. He'll do it. Lord, we bless you and honor you. In Christ's name, amen.